This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. Hello and welcome to Give and Tote Cannabis Conversations, the show that aims to elevate the conversation about cannabis to a higher level. I'm your host, Paul, and today we welcome to the show Anna, aka The Cannabinista, who is an online cannabis educator who specializes in infused edibles and beverages that you can make in your own kitchen. She creates videos on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and Pinterest, where she shares fun and delicious cannabis-infused recipes from homemade edibles, infused butters and oils, to cannabis mocktails, and so much more. As always, if you like the show, please make sure you subscribe or leave a review on your platform of choice. But for now, please enjoy my conversation with Anna, the Cannabinista. Now, a few years ago, when we both kind of started on this Instagram thing, one of the best compliments I ever got, someone was looking for your page and they DM'd me and they were like, there's this woman and you're like the West Coast version of her. And I think given how much I love the work that you're doing and all this educational content, I think that's one of the best compliments I've ever got. Thank you. No, thanks so much. Honestly, like I think it's so funny how the world kind of brings people together because I've never met you in person in real life, but like we've been following each other's journeys since, you know, the, the pandemic or whatever happened. And that was kind of when cannabis online really brought the community together. So thanks for this opportunity. And I think it's just really amazing how like, we can literally just be, you know, how many miles away are we right now? Hundreds and thousands of miles away, but together because we both love the plant. Well, speaking of that experience, you know, I unfortunately didn't get to make it to Toronto because of the pandemic. I had so much booked in. I had facility too, as I was going to go see everything I could about the cannabis space over in Ontario. Didn't get to make it there. Now, I know that you've actually been able to spend some time in Vancouver. Recently, you are at the Lyft Expo. What are your observations about the differences between the coasts? You know, obviously BC has this existing cannabis culture, but I'm also a little bit envious that in Ontario, there isn't all that baggage. There isn't all that kind of old school legacy desire to to cling to the old. So what's been your experience of those two coasts? I honestly had a great time in Vancouver. I actually really enjoy the the vibe of everyone. I think everyone there is very laid back. It's it's definitely a very heady culture, but it was very cool for me to experience that because I don't really get that community here in Toronto. So getting exposure to that community, kind of consuming with folks in the in the market, in the legacy market, and kind of just being in that environment was really different for me and kind of like breath of fresh air. People are very down to earth and, and real there. Obviously, Vancouver is much smaller in terms of population. So it's very much more intimate. People kind of know each other. But I think it was just kind of great being in that environment and seeing how the cannabis space in Vancouver or BC is so different from Ontario. Even just like with the number of retailers that are in, you know, downtown Vancouver is like much, much less concentrated than in Toronto, where you can literally walk one step and be at a cannabis store that's like literally next to their competitor. So very different environment, but it was a great time. Like I had such a great time meeting people in person that I've been virtual friends with for a long time. And just, just great to vibe out with the mountains. I definitely feel like I'm reliving my 15 year old years when I was on MySpace, where like I'm making internet friends again. Like it's really funny to be a fully grown man and be like, hey, we're friends on the internet. And it can still have that like awkwardness when you're like, yeah, hey, Tom, we're buddies on the internet. You wanna smoke a joint? And the second that you share that joint together, all that tension and awkwardness goes and it's like you've been friends forever. 
Yeah, I, I love it. I think that's what like I love about like cannabis consumers as well. Like if you see someone who's consuming cannabis, you just I just kind of gravitate towards them at a party because I we have something to talk about. It's like, oh hey, what are you smoking or what are you enjoying? And there's like this immediate like bond and um almost like vulnerability that you kind of have because you've both kind of had to go through, you know, stigmas of being a consumer or whatever it is. So I always connect super well with quote unquote stoners, whatever that term means nowadays. Yeah. Well, it kind of has always had those negative connotations. It's been kind of fun to reclaim it. Yeah. No, I actually love the word stoner now. Obviously I'm trying to change it a little bit and, you know, make it different than what media has traditionally portrayed. I actually saw someone um, the other day online, they were wearing a t-shirt that said stoned professional. And I thought that was really cute. <laughs> That's great. I like that. I guess moving away from the stone professional to the stone personal, what is your personal relationship with cannabis? Kind of what inspired you to begin this journey? Because you obviously care about the plant. Yeah. I've like kind of like go back in time, like wind up a little bit. Um, I started consuming, I think like anyone who is a consumer now, like they tried it in their teen years, didn't really do anything for them. You know, they're with their friends at the back of the school, that whole typical, you know, experience. It wasn't really until I would say like my twenties when I was in university was when I kind of got more of a, became more of a frequent consumer, I'll say. And that was really because like, I was very stressed in school and I found cannabis as a way to help me balance the stress of school, um, kind of unwinding and essentially just like kind of getting away from the, just kind of like the college life, you know, like it's just a lot of different things are happening. You're living on your own. You're interacting with all these different people from across the province or country. And that was kind of when I started to learn more about cannabis, but it wasn't really until I would say post-legalization was when I really started to dive into the science, the mechanics experimenting with it personally with my body, finding out what works best for me, what are the consumption methods that are the best for my body and what kind of experiences do I want? What kind of terpenes do I like? All that kind of fun cannabis jazz and stuff like that was really post-legalization because more information was available. It was less stigmatized so forth. Obviously there's still crazy stigmas, like don't get me wrong. Like we're still fighting for, to, to, for that, but that was kind of my trajectory. And then in terms of like actually publicly showing myself online and, you know, being on TikTok, Instagram, all these like social media platforms wasn't really until the pandemic when I literally had nothing to do. So I just started filming me making edibles at home and slowly the community was building. This was kind of when you could actually hashtag cannabis 420 CBD, all those hashtags that could actually connect you with other people in Canada, US, uh, Australia, wherever it was because of the love of the plant. Now you can't do those hashtags, right? Everything is banned and now you get flagged and account status, yada, yada, yada. We can kind of go into later on. Um, but that was when it was really easy to connect with someone like, you know, six hours away because we all, we had an explore page that would show you other cannabis content. Um, so that's kind of like where it started. I would say like, for me, my relationship with cannabis, it's really for me, a tool that I use. Um, when I need it for a specific purpose. So I'm not a daily consumer for me. I try to be very intentional with it because I have been in situations where I feel like I'm gravitating towards it and I don't know why. And the, I want to make sure that I have a really healthy balanced relationship with the plant and that I'm being more mindful about why I'm consuming to achieve a physical or mental benefit. It is so important that people come on this show to share those varied experiences because I had Tom different on the show recently. And for example, 
he spoke about how he still has kind of a low tolerance, can still get paranoid, things like that. And I had a lot of listeners kind of contact me and say, it's great to hear someone so enthusiastic about cannabis, so into it that you would assume has his high tolerance and does it all the time, still have those human interactions with it and still have that caution, still have that mindfulness. So it is great to hear from all these varied experiences so people can share. Like, you know, yeah, cool, totally fine if you're smoking 10 joints a day or 50 bongs a day, if that's your thing. But everyone does have their different use. And especially now that I'm a medical patient and that's been my path to legitimacy in Australia, I've become incredibly Mm -hmm. mindful about my use. So it is great to hear that. I'm wondering, I started in this space because I worked in the industry. Did you work in the industry or were you just an enthusiast? Were you just finding this was something that worked for you? I am just an enthusiast. Like I am by no means a social media uh, trained person, no, no cannabis education per se, like no formal. I didn't go to like any institute to study. I don't have an MBA in cannabis or I don't know whatever you would call it. Um, it's really was just um, honestly a lot of research, you know, reading PubMed or reading, uh, communicating with people as well, right. Getting people's experiences. Like you can only kind of go so far with PubMed because there's not enough funding to really study cannabis science. So that's why it's a little bit tricky to get the full picture. But honestly, I feel like with learning about cannabis, it's so individualistic, like it's so different for everyone. So just because this, you know, very trusted article from Harvard business review says this one thing, it doesn't mean that it's actually going to apply to Joe Smith, Bob Smith, or whatever, whoever. Um, and it's not necessarily applicable because we all have different healths. We all have different cannabinoid systems. We all have different digestive systems. There's so many different factors. So I, for me, what's, what's helped me learn about cannabis the most is trial and error on myself, guinea pig style, lab rat test style in a safe way, obviously. But over the years, like trying more and more products, different consumption methods, I'm able to really dial in like, what is the perfect experience for me? How do I get there? How much do I need to consume to get there? And what are the cautions that I need to take if if there is any? On the note of that experimentation and that trialing, is that how you got onto cannabis infusions? Was that part of your trial and error? Like, is this a way that can work for me? Because speaking from my experience, I really struggle with infused products. One of the game changers in Canada was the nano emulsion products that have a faster onset and therefore a faster taper off as well you know they don't last as long they kick in faster they're not around so that works pretty well for me i essentially replaced alcohol with cannabis infused beverages while i was in canada but how did you enter this infusion space because i'd say that's kind of your specialty and like you said you've done this work yourself so how did that become the focus how did that become your interest I love food. So I think that's kind of the core of what made me very interested in fusions. I love eating. I love cooking recipes. Um, I love trying new foods. So that's kind of, I think, where my love for infusions is coming from because I just want to eat stuff. Um, So where I really started doing infusions, you know, I started off in a condo using a stone pot on a burner out on my patio, decarbing somehow, infusing somehow in a very kind of janky kind of way. And, you know, wasn't testing anything. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was trying my best to measure and follow websites here and there. And that worked, right? You got some really potent oil sometimes, but it wasn't until I actually was gifted. It's like a cannabis kitchen device. I guess you could say it's called the Levo Levo 2. I was actually gifted that for my birthday. And that was when I entered this whole new world of cannabis technology that was basically like the Vitamix of cannabis infusions, as you can see, like, well, people can't see, but I love my kitchen tech. So that was when I really started to kind of 
dive into that craft and trying different formats of infusion. So you can use like oven stone methods as very traditional methods. You can use stone pot methods, crock pot methods. But I found that the more modern devices kind of satisfied my more city life because I didn't want it to smell, didn't want it to dank. I got neighbors, I live in a condo. Um, and those devices really kind of kept the odors in and it was easy to use, right? They're very like, they're, they're built to be very user-friendly for someone who is not technical. So yeah, that's kind of where I really dived into infusions and then started turning whatever I would infuse into food, right? Whether it was beverages or classic like baked goods, but I also love making salty infused foods. Pastas, I was like one of my favorite things to make. Um, if you just make an infused butter and then add it to literally any pasta, it's just so good. So yeah, that's kind of where it started for me. That's really cool. And there's a word that came up there, decarbing, you know, for our listeners that are unaware, what is the definition of that word? Yeah. Decarboxylation, aka decarb, um, is basically the process where you apply heat to your cannabis flower in order to get the compounds that you want. So when cannabis flower is not heated to a certain temperature, it's just THCA and CBDA. Obviously there's a bunch of other cannabinoids I'm not going to list. So if you're just eating raw cannabis, you're not going to get quote unquote high. You're not going to get the high experience. You need to apply heat in order to do the infusion or else you're just eating raw cannabis, which is also fine. There's also benefits to eating raw cannabis, but it's for two different use cases. In Australia, the um, only approved way to consume medical cannabis is through vaporization. So I'm starting to see that the community is really starting to get behind using their already vaped bud, which is the simplest form of decarbed bud. You know, it's yeah. it doesn't have the same kind of power and strength and potency because you've inhaled it. It hasn't just been decarbed. You've actually inhaled some of that. But that is becoming a big movement here where people are using that already vaped bud to create infused products. So it's really exciting that these options are there. But I do think you really touched on that important point it was that legalization, it was that real product that opened this up. Like we can all use a crock pot, we can all use the oven and the stove, but it's when you start to see these real products in a real store that the possibilities become endless. So that's really, really cool. How has cannabis affected your relationship with alcohol? You know, I touched on the fact that these nano emulsion products, nano emulsion is basically the THC molecules are brought down to such a small level that the uptake can be faster. And I just really miss that stuff. How has your perception of alcohol and how has your relationship changed since infusing beverages, making these mocktails, making this food? Have you seen a shift there? So I would say like, this kind of goes back into the story. Like I used to have a pretty unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Like I used to just drink, party, lived for the weekends, wake up hungover, eat a bunch of crap, waste my entire day and repeat all over again. So after a few years of doing that, you know, I literally had like an epiphany one day. I was like, I can't do this shit anymore. Like I'm literally aging. I feel bloated all the time. My skin is terrible. I don't feel mentally happy. So I knew that I had to change that um, in my life. And it was also changing eating habits and a bunch of other things. So it's just like a whole plethora, not just siloing alcohol or anything like that, but that was definitely a driving factor as one phased out one came in, in, in a sense, more or less. But once I started consuming more cannabis, I really kind of realized that I don't really need alcohol. Cannabis makes me feel great the next day. I can wake up at six in the morning and go for a walk and then work out. And I'm not eating McDonald's and junk and putting that into my body because I'm hungover. I actually sometimes feel even better after consuming cannabis, um, especially after a workout. The next day I find that if I have a really heavy workout and then I consume cannabis, I get a really, really deep rest, almost as if my muscles are kind of relaxing. And then it helps with a faster post-workout recovery. So I can kind of get back into the gym quicker. 
So I would say that's kind of why my relationship with alcohol slowly dissipated. I mean, nowadays, like, you know, there's nothing wrong with alcohol. Alcohol has a purpose as well, right? It's a very cultural thing. It's a very social thing that's very ingrained into our society. I will enjoy a really nice glass of natural wine on a special occasion, right? Though it has some benefits, definitely. Or I'll go to a nice cocktail bar with my friends and have one drink. But it's not something that I seek out or crave. If I go to parties, I actually bring my own infused beverages. So I don't feel super awkward if I'm not drinking alcohol. And it's actually kind of a conversation starter because people are like, oh, what's that? Like, what, what does it look like? Blah, blah, blah. But you kind of mentioned it earlier. The A lot of the beverages or nanomulsified stuff it doesn't last as long, right? Which is not as great. And I'm sure they're going to come out with technology like in a year to like extend that experience. But at the same time, it's like, I sometimes think like, you know, I don't need it to last me the whole night. Like I can be myself and I don't necessarily need a quote unquote substance to make me feel a certain way or whatever it is. I think it's just maybe sometimes shifting our mindset that like, yeah, you can just have one drink and maybe you'll sober quote unquote sober up and that's okay. I like how purposeful and thoughtful that is. And I think I oversimplified that change. I really like the way you frame that as a whole approach to your health and looking at all the levels that alcohol was affecting. It's not just, oh, alcohol gone, cannabis in. You were really thoughtful and mindful about that. And I think the interesting thing was you mentioned, you know, you're not eating McDonald's. So often the association is that you're a stoner, you're sitting on the couch and eating all the time. But you mentioned working out. Obviously you spoke about recovery, but can you go into a little bit more detail about how you use cannabis with your workout? Like, do you ever do it before? Do you ever do it during? Or is it just a recovery thing? I have tried using cannabis as a pre-workouts only for, sorry, not working out, I, I guess running. During the pandemic, I like developed this passion for running. I hate it now. I don't know why I, I ran. <laughs> I don't run far. I, I absolutely hate it. I hate the metallic taste that you kind of get in your throat when you start like losing your breath. But I found that when I consumed cannabis before running, I was able to run longer and not be annoyed by the fact that I was running. So I think maybe it was because like I was listening to music, I was jamming out. So I tried it that for pre-workout. But nowadays, if I'm just in the gym and I'm lifting weights, I don't really feel I need it. I haven't tried it to be honest again, but I definitely use it for post-workout. It's just, I'm a very like, tense person and I keep it all the way to my shoulders. So I find that consuming post-workout really helps kind of like melt my shoulders down a little bit, if you will. That's really, really cool. I'm wondering, you know, I've seen you review products. I've seen you infuse products with pre-existing dissolvable powders and things like that. Mm -hmm. It does seem to me that you prefer overall to infuse and make your own products from scratch. Why is yeah. it that you lean that way rather than buying edibles on the legal recreational market in Canada? The number one thing is ingredients. It's just the, the product that's available in the recreational market right now are very, in my opinion, um, full of crap, a lot of sugar, a lot of, um, ingredients that have numbers in it, which kind of makes me confused preservatives, a lot of ingredients that I've noticed that if you search them on like FDA approval lists or things like that, it just seems very sketch. Right. And I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Like there's chemicals and stuff like that in almost everything you eat. Like, even if you eat organic produce nowadays, it's like, it's like cross-contaminated. So like, I know I'm kind of being like a little like nitpicky about it, but if I can make a choice, I would rather make my own because I have the ability to, I have the time to make it, which is also a privilege, I would say. Um, but just because I'd rather kind of know what I'm putting in my body. I also have some sensitivities, like I'm kind of lactose. I break out when I eat a lot of fake sugar. So I like to kind of like keep it within my control and it tastes better and it's fun too. So I get that enjoyment out of making my own stuff, but don't get me wrong. I'll still buy like an infused, um, like a cannabis infused sparkling water. I can't really make that 
at home, I mean, you can, you can just put dissolvable powder into a, a Perrier or a San Pellegrino, but like things like that, you know, if you just need a quick pickup, I'll definitely go pick it up. Or if it's like, um, I want to try a new product that's like kind of cool. I'll, I'll try it once in a while. You're an incredibly mindful user. And I think about that's obviously not a criticism of the industry when you say, you know, there's these weird ingredients and numbers. It's just the case. It's like doing meat free Monday. Like I could be a full vegan. I can't do everything, but Hey, I'm still just choosing this one area to be a little bit more mindful and to make that choice. And I think that's a really important thing because you didn't even mention the milligram limit. I think so many people get hamstrung by the fact that the edibles in Canada have this 10 milligram THC level, which for a lot of users isn't enough. I'd say it really benefits the people tiptoeing into the market and those first-time users a great amount. You know, I recommend kind of two and a half milligrams to a first-time user. So that works really well. I like that for you, it's not about that. It is just about a personal choice about being mindful. Yeah, I, I feel like with like dosage and like pro, like preference, it's really individual, right? Like someone, like I have friends that can consume one milligram and be on the couch and they're like, I'm good, like this is enough. Or you have someone that's like, I need 20 bags of this. This is not enough. I'm so frustrated with the regulations, yada, yada, yada. So again, it's like, I feel like cannabis is just so, there's no one size fits all. And I think this applies to a lot of topics outside of cannabis as well, right? It's just doing what works best for yourself and like, who cares what other people think? Let's pivot a little bit and talk about social media because this is something that I think you've done a really great job of reaching an audience on multiple platforms. But I know it's also been a real struggle for you to be you know, front and center as you get shadow banned and things like that. I believe you've actually even had a full deletion on Instagram. Is that right? That is right. <laughs> you mentioned those early days where I think it, I hadn't clicked on this point, but it was easier for us to connect because those hashtags where you could look up hashtag Canadian cannabis, yeah. see all this new content, connect with all these people. And I hadn't kind of done the math on the fact that that's been so restricting over the last couple of years. So what were the early stages of the Cannabinista? How did you enter the space? Yeah. Um, it really started with like short form videos, which I still think is very popular now. Right. Cause that was the whole TikTok era. The uh, Instagram reels was just kind of coming out. Like it was very fast, quick, easy engagement. So that's really what I started with. Cause it was also just easy for me to film with my phone and I would just make recipes based on what I was making. And that was kind of it. And then kind of how that evolved was, you know, I got a little bit more strategic and I started to build out YouTube videos as well, because YouTube was a little bit more liberal with that. And it also kind of helps with your SEO and your website. So it's kind of like a full ecosystem. Um, I also went on over to Twitter to kind of expand my reach Pinterest as well, which is great for Canamoms. There's a huge Canamom community on Pinterest. And then recently I've also launched a discord community because I needed a space where I could like actually say the word weed and 420 and show photos of big fat nugs to my community. Whereas you really cannot do that on Instagram and TikTok, which are the, probably the most strict, but double-edged sword. They're like the best for engagement and getting your content across, right? Like you can literally have a video with like 20 million views and like, you know, the next day you're deleted or whatever it is. So <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a true story. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I tried to enter the TikTok space and the first four videos I put up all got banned. And so I've never gone back. So it's really, really difficult. Obviously those challenges are there with those different platforms and all their restrictive rules. And it's a little bit hypocritical because I know, for example, in Australia, we're seeing this huge boom in online gambling and just constant barrage of advertisements and all these opportunities, you know, free money to bet and things like that. Yet the exact same place, the cannabis space is such a taboo still, yeah. even a medicinal cannabis space. So it's really frustrating to deal with those challenges. 
But what have been the successes for you on social media? Like obviously you've built your community, you've been able to do this education. What are the positives of operating in this space? Um, I would say the positive is being able to like talk to multiple people at once and kind of like, you know, I would have never inter like I have like uh, newsletter subscribers from India, from Africa. Like how would I have ever seen, like met these people in real life? Right. And then, you know, I get to help them. They ask me questions about, Oh, how should I do this? How should I infuse? What do you think about butters versus oils or whatever it is? But it just allows me to like break down literally physical borders and, you know, reduce hundreds and thousands of kilometers to like milliseconds in communication. So, you know, you know, social media is like a blessing in disguise, like great for reach, but again, like you, you also get a lot of like hate and things too, I will say. So that kind of counterbalances it. You have people who report you or people who are very against cannabis and will, you know, kind of rip you to pieces online. But then you have the people who are also like so supportive of you, of you who have been supporting Cannabinista like for three, four years now. It's a balance of kind of how things work on social media. That hate is really interesting. And as much as I hate to admit it, I remember almost every negative comment I've ever got. And it's a it's a cross for me to bear and something to work through with my psychologist, obviously. But it does really cut deep. You can be connecting with hundreds of people making this important difference. And then some asshole comes in with some hot misogynistic take about women yeah. in weed, about you not knowing anything because yeah. cannabis should be this. It is a really difficult space to operate in. And I think this is where some of the negative elements of the quote-unquote cannabis community come in. I think what we have in common is this love for the plant, the fact that we've dealt with taboos, that we've dealt with kind of restrictions all through our life with this thing we love. But then people will very quickly also jump on all the things you don't know and the things you're doing wrong. So do you have any like rock-solid strategies for dealing with that? Or is it just kind of like everything in life where you just have to grin and bear it? I think in the beginning, um, especially when like some of my TikToks were blowing up and I was getting like hundreds and thousands of messages and whatever a day, it really affected me mentally because I would literally just believe what these people were saying about me, which logically made no sense. Like, why is this? Why do I care what this random person in Iowa is saying about me? They've never met me. And honestly, like it just took time over time. I just didn't give a shit. Like, and I turned off my notifications. That's another thing as well that helped. You sometimes do want to respond to certain people. So like I kind of batch it. So I like I create mind space for like once a week, I'll go into the comments or every few days. That's when I'm dedicating my mind share to answering comments, whether they're positive, negative, redirecting them, whatever it may be. But I'm not allowing myself to be constantly inundated with potentially negative comments every day because that's just not healthy for anyone. And like even outside of the cannabis industry, like even like fashion influencers or like foodies influencers or whatever, like everyone's going to just get negative comments. And like sometimes people just have too much to say and like put their nose into things. But honestly, it just takes time. And like, as you build your craft and be more confident in who you are as a brand and online, people who are hating on you, they don't matter. And you just forget about it the next day you wake up. What I really love about your content, and, I, and I've been scathing of the opposite of this in the past. And I love that you have the plant front and center. Your passion for education is front and center. I think there are a lot of people who operate and you see it online a lot. And they're the people with the biggest followings, but it's those people that are putting themselves front and center. Like cannabis is almost an accessory for them to promote themselves. So what I really love is that you found this great balance to educate people, still be a face that people can recognize, but the plant is front and center. And I've noticed that you've been using broccoli in your videos. And it honestly took me too long to realize what was going on with that. 
Yeah, I had to because like they have this AI software now where they're detecting uh, nugs, right? Or they've had this for some time. Like anything that looks like a nug, even smoke, like like vapor clouds, they can detect that and they will be and they will auto remove the video. So I'd like to do my videos like so safe that it is not, you might not even know what it is. It's like, if you know, you know, your OG cannabis people, people who love weed will definitely know. But sometimes like people who are just watching might not even get it or they get confused. So to sum up this, how would you describe your mission on social media? What are you really aiming to do? Yeah, I think you kind of touched on it. It's like, for me, my, my brand is all about creating approachable cannabis content that can relate to people who are not necessarily your classic 420 stoner stereotype, I guess you could say. There's nothing wrong with that. And like, I love, you know, that culture as well. Like I really do. And, you know, it's, I think almost sometimes we do have to pay respect to that because that is what built the culture for cannabis to exist. Um, But I'm personally, you know, I'm just a regular person. So I'm just really showing people how I consume as someone who is not necessarily uh, not a bong user. I'm not really a uh, joint smoker that much, or I don't smoke during the daytime. There's a lot of different things that people just automatically associate with cannabis consumers. And I think I kind of defy those stereotypes, even things like culturally and like as a woman, right? Like you don't really see a lot of Asian people upfront talking about cannabis, right? Like it's very, very shunned in our culture. So even just having that as like a way to kind of show people like, oh, wow, like cannabis consumers can look like this small little Asian girl who is just cooking in her kitchen and loves weed. An example I'll give you is like someone messaged me um, a couple of weeks ago and they were telling me how they showed my page to their grandmother. And that was what they used to convince their grandmother that weed is actually not quote unquote bad. And I think maybe the grandma just saw me as like a sweet little Asian person. So they're like, Oh, like this is not that bad. But like those moments is like, really what keeps me going, right? It's like, oh, I'm able to like break stereotypes, break what people think about traditional stoners and like almost like elevate the description or definition of what it means to be a modern stoner nowadays. I've been very fortunate. A couple of my guests so far have been Asian women from different parts of the world. You know, I've got Emily Lee Young, who's behind Ojai, based in Vancouver, who's amazing. I've had Lisa Nguyen, who is a Melbourne pharmacist who started Australia's first female-led dispensary. And it's a common thread where in addition to this social stigma, there's also the cultural stigma as well. So it's really great that you're able to break down those barriers. But have you had those experiences within your own family and within your own cultural community that you've had to break through? Oh yeah, for sure. Like, I think this is, you know, it's always ongoing conversations, right? Like there's always going to be, especially like, like parents and stuff like that. They're so set in their ways sometimes. And sometimes I'm just like, you know what? I don't want to argue with you anymore. Like you're already at this certain age. I'll just let you live your life the way, and there's no point, right? I just want to enjoy my time with them and not have debates constantly about the plant. So sometimes it's just taking L's here and there and knowing that deep down, I'm consuming for a certain reason. This is how I choose to live my life. And that's okay. Not everyone may agree with it, even if they're people that are very close to you. Sometimes that hurts the most. You know, my mom, for example, is a nurse, managed a health food store for 25 years, would make me take all sorts of vitamins and supplements. And as soon as I started exploring cannabis, she was just constantly concerned and fearful. You know, it was the law breaking element. It was the stereotypes. It was if I went and visited her in my hometown, oh, the neighbors are going to smell it and things like that. I'm like, I'm a 30, 33 year old dude. You know, it's 11 o'clock at night. I think we're good. (laughs) But you're still constantly fighting that yet. Thankfully, the barrier is finally broken and my mum is now on medical cannabis for the last two months. She called me two days ago and she's sleeping for the first time in like 20 years. And it's just incredible. And it's a real 
hard thing to do. Like I've had such passionate conversations where I've ended up almost in tears. Cause I'm like, this means so much to me. Why are you so against it? Yet you keep pushing, you keep trying, you keep believing in it. Yeah. And hopefully eventually people will get there. And like you said, if they don't, you have to know when to give up as well. Yeah, no, that's great. I'm so happy that like you and, your, you and your mom can now connect on another topic, which is great. And like, you can even have sessions together or experiences. So I love that. I love that for you. I want to circle back around to how our listeners can cook with cannabis. But before we do that, I'm wondering if you're interested in playing a quick game. Let's do it. Best thing about legal cannabis. Um, e- easy to access and helps to reduce stigmas because more people are seeing weed on the streets now do you prefer to infuse oil or butter um oil because i am lactose but i do love infused butter for cookies favorite cannabis product right now oh this is a good one um infused sparkling waters they're really easy to grab and go they're gonna be perfect for summertime when i'm heading to the parks with friends those are my favorite sugar-free ones favorite place to consume okay um there was a mountain in bc i went on a hike and it was just looking at the city but also looking at the mountains i can't remember what the mountain was but it was nice what's worse dropping a full grinder of weed on the ground or not having a lighter Dropping the full weed on the ground because someone always has a lighter. At Lucky Last, describe your perfect 420. Um, okay, waking up, making an infused breakfast, either an infused French toast with uh, maple syrup, like an infused maple syrup, or a very salty breakfast with like infused bacon and eggs or something like that, maybe like a slab of infused butter on toast, and then just going to the park, hang out with friends, and enjoy more weed. Well, this conversation has already made me hungry and I fear that it might continue to as we progress. Let's talk a little bit about how my listeners could cook with cannabis. How would you get started? What's the kind of 101? Like you've got some amazing products that you've got access to. Let's say there's no products in someone's home except for the basic kitchen. How would they go about that? Okay. It will definitely first, you got to be okay with a little bit of smell in your house. So just have windows open, candles, diffusers ready, and I hope you have a good hood fan. So I do have a blog on my website, um, which actually breaks down the six simple steps to making the best cannabis infusions. It actually breaks down different types of tools. So let's like, like you said, if you don't have the fancy, expensive techie stuff and you just got a crock pot or a stove or whatever it is you'll link it in the show notes so you can read all about there. But there's kind of like a couple things that you need to prepare before going into making your infusions. I think first is actually like, what flower do you want to use? Like what kind of weed do you have at home? Or do you want to go out and get some? Is it a THC? Is it CBD? Or is it a combination of both? There's so many different factors. So I think just choosing the right flower to begin with is going to be important. And that could vary on like whether you want a really potent um, oil or butter, whatever it is, or a lower dose. The next step I would do is choosing what you actually want to infuse. Like, do you want to make an olive oil? Do you want to make a coconut oil or do you want to make a butter? Generally, I think like butters are like the easiest, right? Because people, you can use it for salty and sweet, but I actually like olive oil. I use olive oil for almost everything, even for baking goods. So that might be one to consider. And then the third part is like, before I even start infusing, I actually do some math. So you actually have to sit down and use some online calculators to almost like backwards math, how much potency you're going to get in your final product. So there's a lot of great online calculators. They all kind of use the same logic, but you just kind of plug in how much flour you have, what temperature you're going to decarb at, how many milliliters or ounces of the oil or butter, whatever you're infusing, and it's going to spit out how many um, milligrams of THC or CBD are going to be in a certain teaspoon, tablespoon, whatever it is. So you want to do that because 
that's going to really determine like the final output and how you plan to use your infusion. And then when you kind of get into the next step is really like doing the work. So we talked about decarboxylation earlier. So that's making sure you're applying heat to the cannabis flower. If you don't have fancy tech, you know, the classic put the weed on a baking tray and put it into the oven, right? That's all you need to do. Temperatures vary depending on how like your, every oven is also different. So usually I do like 240 to like 270 degrees Fahrenheit for 30 to 40 minutes until it's nice and like a roasted brown color. Um, if you get it too hot, it's actually going to like, um, diminish some of the cannabinoids and that might turn into CBN. So just want to be careful about that. And then you start infusing. So if you don't got fancy tech, what would you do? Literally a pot and just put butter and oil and cover the lid and let it slowly infuse on low heat for probably one to two hours, I would say. Um, it's going to dank, but you got to have those open. And then the next part is really just like storing your infusion, right? Like how are you going to keep this fresh so that you can use it for a long time? Butter, obviously it's going to go bad within like two months, I want to say at least. Oils, you can store in a cupboard that's dark, just with a nice mason jar, lock it tight. And then last but not least is just like using the infusion. So depending on how many milligrams are in each serving, you know, you can use it for baking. You can use it to, I mentioned this earlier, pasta. You can use it for fried rice. Like literally you can use infusions for anything. So just like get creative. And I have a lot of recipes on my website at thecannabinista.com. So you guys can also check it out there. So that's all linked down below. And I think that's a great point. I think a lot of people assume that cannabis infusions are brownies and cookies, and that's kind of the extent of it. And that's what I really love about what you're doing, Anna. And it speaks to that passion you have about food. It all comes back to that. You love food, so therefore you've gone and experimented. I think other people love cannabis. So it's like, what's the easiest thing I can get this into? So I love that you've gone a lot broader than that. Yeah, I like I love good food and I love good weed and I just put it together. So we've mentioned some of those products like the Levo. Another thing that I've seen you using is the Tea Check. These are two separate products. What are some of the products that you're affiliated with? I know that you know you partner with these companies, but they're great products. So let's talk about them. I have so many cannabis kitchen technical devices in my kitchen. I literally have a cupboard that's just weed tech, which is funny because like I also have a lot of kitchen tech. I got the Vitamix, I got like KitchenAid stand mixer, all that kind of stuff, but more or less, like I use a couple different products. So Levo, we mentioned T-Check, which is a cannabis potency tester device. And then there's another one called Ardent FX, which is a purple um, cannabis infusion device. So these devices, essentially, you can decarb and infuse all in the device. And the, the main benefit of it is that it really keeps the odors inside. It's very dialed in in terms of temperature. It's kind of like set it and forget it kind of style. So it's really great for if you need to like go run errands or whatever. And some of them are Wi-Fi enabled too. So you can do everything on your mobile app. So super crazy stuff. The T-Check potency tester is literally like a small little device that I use to test the percentage of THC and CBD in my oils and butters. So basically you can just like put the oil into, it's almost like a Petri dish and you kind of put it into the device and then it does the magic. Um, I'm not great with the science, but it, it works. And I use that in combination with a um, online calculator as well. So I kind of like look at both numbers and see where I kind of land. Because at the end of the day, if you're making infusions at home, you're not in a facility, right? You're not in like, you're not wearing like a white jumpsuit where like everything is dialed down to the exact temperature. So I think this is another tip is that there's always going to be plus minus five to 10% on what you're creating. So just giving yourself that buffer and like making home infusions, 
the the downside to it is that it's not going to be 100% accurate. So actually, we should caveat that because that's the benefit of recreational edibles, even though they're kind of sometimes full of crap. They're dosed accurately, right? They're tested by Health Canada. They have millions of dollars of equipment to do that stuff. So I would say just be mindful that like it may not always be the exact experience or exact dosage. And that's the thing I want my Australian listeners to hear. And that's why I want them to beg for a regulated market because it's when you have access to those precision dose things that you can actually safely experiment. You know, it's not that experimenting at home is unsafe, but you raise that really good point. There's inconsistencies to home consumption and to home infusion. So that's why we do need a regulated market. We're having a big conversation in Australia about decriminalization versus legalization slash regulation. Decriminalization really benefits those people who are already in it, who can grow the weed at home, who are willing to cook it. But most people want to be able to go into a store and buy those products. So I'm really hopeful that we get to that stage one day where here in Australia, we can buy those dissolvable powders, those nano emulsion soda waters that you're talking about. God damn, I miss it. <laughs> Once you guys legalize, I will definitely fly over there because I've been meaning to do a Australia, New Zealand trip, but I don't know. I like going to places where weed's legal. <laughs> we're very hopeful that here in Victoria, my home state, that we'll be the first ones to do it. We've, we were the first ones to do medical. We have a more progressive leaning government. I'm not going to call them progressive because they're not, but they lean that way. We will likely be the first to do it. So I'll let you know as soon as we're there and you'll have a friend in Melbourne right here. Oh, exciting. I, I'm, I'm hoping for you guys. So as we head to the end of the show, the final segment is called Paul's of Wisdom. And this is where you share a dinner party fact that is like a snappy thing that the average person needs to know about cannabis. So Anna, what is your Paul of Wisdom? Start low and go slow when it comes to consuming edibles, beverages, ingestibles, anything that you put in your mouth that has weed in it. Um, I would say that you have to be comfortable with going through trial and error as well, right? Like safe consumption is super important, which is why I always suggest to new users, like trialing a few milligrams at a time, wait an hour or two before upping the dose. Um, but it's also important to remind new users that they, um, it's important for them to also be open-minded that like their first few times may not be a great experience. And it may actually take a couple tries for them to uh, figure out what works best for them. Um, I find a lot of people have like one bad experience because they had an edible that was like not dosed properly because whether it was in the um, legacy market or didn't know what the dose was. And then they get so turned off by cannabis in general or edibles and they never touch it again. But it's almost like you just try one thing and then you don't give it a second chance. Um, I would say that's probably something that I would suggest to people to be open-minded, give it another chance, be with a friend that is more experienced. Ask me questions as well. I can help guide you as well as how to create the best experience um, when it comes to edibles. A lot of different factors can also affect your experience, right? It's not just the dosage, but it's also how you're consuming. Your mood and your mindset during the day can actually greatly affect how high or not high you're going to be, or even how much food you had in your stomach. For me personally, I actually eat all my edibles on an empty stomach because my digestive system is very slow. So I like to just do it when there's no food. And I find that the absorption is quicker. I feel more of the true effects. So that's my few words of wisdom. Anna, you are such an amazing example of the best of the cannabis community, the best of the content creating community. And I'm so appreciative to have you on today. Now, everything that we've spoken about, all your links will be in the show notes. But if anyone's driving right now or just a little bit too lazy to scroll down, where can our listeners find you online? Yes, you can find me on literally every social media platform, um, Instagram, cannabinista.co, because my original name is now deleted. On TikTok, I'm at cannabinista, YouTube, type in cannabinista, Pinterest, cannabinista. 
join my Discord community. Everything is on my Instagram. You can find it there or head on over to my website that has all my recipes, all my cannabis educational articles. And that's over at www.thecannabinista.com. Well, we've learned a lot today. I've become really, really hungry. Anna the Cannabinista, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Paul. It was really nice chatting. Give and Tote Cannabis Conversations is written and produced by me, Paul. Music written and produced by Big Mike. Follow us on Instagram at Give and Toke or get in touch by emailing giveandtoke at gmail.com. You'll also find us on both Twitter and Facebook. All opinions expressed by program guests are solely their current opinions and do not necessarily reflect the position of Give and Toke. Content discussed in this show does not constitute medical advice. Cannabis is not legal everywhere, so please be aware of local laws. 